This podcast is part of the great mystery economy, something I learned from Ethan Hughes that is a bigger vision of what the gift economy can be. So to do this work, I ask that my needs and those of the show are met through listener support. If you would like the show to continue to bring you the latest interviews with practitioners of all types, from designers to scientists, beginners to experts, from land practitioners to those who are working in the social and economic permaculture realms, I need your help. Go to thepermaculturepodcast.com slash support and become a one-time donor or find out how to become a monthly contributor through Patreon. All right, let's get things started. This is the Permaculture Podcast. I'm Scott Mann, and you're listening to episode 1719, Natural Swimming Pools. Eddie of Living Earth Systems returns, this time joined by his partner Sam, to continue discussing the ways we can work naturally with living systems to create clean water. The first time he joined us, that was to share his natural aquaponics systems. But this time around, he talks about how we can use those same ideas to create pools of water that we can relax in, swim, and enjoy. Pulling from nearly 30 years of experience building natural swimming pools, Eddie shares how he blends biology, including plants and fish, along with some technology, such as pool pumps and UV lights, to create a complete system that removes the need for chemicals like chlorine or minerals like salt from your pool filtration and sanitizing system. By making these changes, we can create fertility from the pool to use safely in our lawn and gardens, and even create water that is clean enough to drink, which is a nice thing to have on hand if you're applying permaculture and designing for disasters. The best part of all of this, though? You can apply these ideas to systems from as small as a jacuzzi at a few hundred gallons, on up to a pond covering acres and millions of gallons of water. Let's go ahead and get into this conversation with Eddie and Sam, and I'll join you again afterwards. Eddie, since you've been on the show before, we don't need to begin with your biography and background. Folks can listen to your first interview for that. So I was wondering if you could tell us how you got involved with natural swimming pools. Spending so much time in Hawaii and often swimming in the streams and pools that are provided by nature, I found that there was a perfect filtration system set up, and that was set up by nature. So every time I went into someone's swimming pool, it was always kind of strange to me, the chlorine and watching bees drink from it and die and realizing that birds and cats want to drink from it and all they're going to do is poison themselves. Watching people dump the filtration systems into the land surrounding the hotels and around all the estates that have fancy swimming pools on them, there's always a dead spot on the property. That dead spot is from the excessive chemicals, the acid up, acid down, the chlorine, whether it's salts. A lot of people are misinformed. Saltwater pools are treated by UV light, which turns the salt into chlorine, so it's not all that different. So most of the pools that I've seen growing up have left a negative impact on the nature around them, where when I swim in a pool in nature, it's left a pretty positive impact on the nature around it. So I think that's was like my base of inspiration is to make swimming pools as nice as it is to swim in a stream with nature. And why can't we do that? So I think that's started my experiments on that. So when did you start building your first natural swimming pools, actually constructing something like this? So my first natural swimming pool was in the early 90s, I want to say in possibly 89 or 90, and it was on a small outer island, and we dug a pond to put some tilapia in 
for an aquaculture project we were doing. We were growing some plants with it. We were basically building an in-ground aquaponic system. And the children of the family, there was eight of them, young Hawaiian kids, that you can't keep them out of a pond, started jumping in with the tilapia in this pond that we built. So I realized that I could build a swimming pool out of it just by adding a few more plants to it and adding some gravel that would take out the solids and kind of replicating what I saw in the stream right down the road and creating it right in their yard. Actually, we were using water from the stream to do it. So we redirected the water from the stream into this pond that we wanted to isolate from the stream because we didn't want tilapia to get in the stream. And then the water that we redirected with these tilapia, we basically fed through a whole series of what we call loes. They're taro patches, and it's a root crop that we grow. We grow it for the leaves and the taro. And then by the time we ran it through quite a bit of different beds of taro and ran it back into the pool, we noticed the water had settled and become crystal clear. So we just basically pumped the water from the fish pond through the taro patches and back into the fish pond, and we got pretty good clear water out of it. We raised a lot of fish, and the kids swam in it all day long. So that was kind of my very first experience at a natural swimming pool. And then through the years doing aquaponics and building these natural living systems, they've just incorporated into building pools whenever I get the chance. That was an in-ground pool. Years later, someone approached me in the Hana area that had a swimming pool in their backyard, and the swimming pool was cracked and wasn't holding water. I think that was in 93 or 94. So I patched the concrete on the swimming pool. I filled it with water. I bypassed the natural filtration system and basically put a big aquaponic system on the side of it and ran it back into the pool. So again, I have wound up with a place we could swim in. We didn't have too many fish in it, just a few of them. It was in the shade, so we had a natural swimming pool basically. So when it comes to constructing these pools, and I'm glad that you mentioned this in-ground versus kind of above-ground or constructed, what kinds of things are you using to filter the water? Are you planting within the pool itself, or is it largely to like pre- and post-treat the water moving through the system? So it, it all depends. If you're going to have a lot of swimming in a pond, and it's going to be predominantly for swimming and less for raising fish, I think you want to ask yourself the questions, what do I want to accomplish with this? Do I want to swim once in a while? Am I a guy with six kids that are throwing pool toys around? How is it going to get used? Is it going to be frozen in the wintertime? There's so many questions to ask yourself by whether you're going to put plants in the pool or whether you're going to separate the planting system. So just on a short sort of a note on that, Filtration, there's several different options for filtration. They can be planting beds that are level with settling area to them with gravel and plants, and it could be your total filtration system, or you can use filters such as biological filtration systems that hold small plastic pellets that are a surface area for bacteria to live on very similar to a sand filter. Sand filters work well. And you're able to filter the large solids out of the pool. If you're going to use those type of filters, you usually don't want plants in the pool itself. You want them separated. I find as a general rule, I like to separate plants from the pools. 
inside the actual main part of the pool, but sometimes I do isolate certain plants in the pool, all depending on the type of activity it's getting and also the type of fish we're using in the pool, which deter which is determined by the environment where it is. So when you say about separating the plants, I think about, you know, the pool at my aunt's house has one of those filter boxes off to the side that just kind of allows water to slosh out through the filter and then get returned to the pool. And then they also have a pump then that circulates water. It usually comes out of the pool, goes through a pump, from the pump to a filter, and then back into the pool. And that filter usually has another little station with it, which is a chlorinator. And so in your system, what you're doing then is if you're using that pump, that pump is moving water out of the pool into a biological system? Exactly. So what we're able to do in most cases, it all depends. Sometimes we change the pumps and we make them more efficient. Sometimes we put them on solar panels, which is what we like to do to keep people completely off the grid. But the idea of if your pump is working, you don't necessarily need to change your pump out. What you want to change is this membrane filter that uses chlorine or diatomaceous earth or a series of membranes or whatever it is that they filter the pool with. You want to take that out and you want to take out the chlorinating station. So then you can think about, okay, now I have the pool. I have it pumping water out. What type of filtration system do I want to put before I return that water to the pool? So what I do is I give it a standard filtration system, which is usually a biological or a sand filter. I also throw UV lighting within the system. We can talk a little bit about that later. Technically, I believe in the United States of America, it is illegal to run a pool and call it a swimming pool with anything other than chlorinated water in it or salt with UV or I think there's a very few things that are even slightly recognized, but mostly it's some sort of lobbying that's done by the pool industry that doesn't want people to step away from chlorine. Yeah, and every solution that I've seen is chemical-based in some form or another. Right, and that has partially to do with the lobbying on that. But one way, what we like to do, so technically what we do for people is we do crystal clear koi ponds for growing vegetables. And if you swam in a pond in nature and you chose to swim in your koi pond, that's your own decision. I think that just for the, the rules of just strange government rules, I think that's what we like to do for people and how we like to tell that story. The different ways that we frame the conversation in order to achieve our ecological ends. Exactly. Great. Well spoken. <laughs> And you've mentioned fish several times in this conversation. So are you including fish in every pool design? That's a great question that you asked there because I do not include fish in every single design. It all depends. Usually there are fish in some part of the design. So say you have a swimming pool and you're going to run it through a large plant-based filtration system that has like, let's use the word bog, for instance. It has a bog and a series of smaller ponds that are real shallow that are planted out, and the water travels through these ponds before it returns back to the pool. So in those shallow bog plants where the plants are growing as well, you can either use a gravel substrate that stays dry on the surface and doesn't actually look wet, but the water moves through it, or you can use ones that are actually holding water, sort of like our taro patches or loes, that are shallow filled little ponds and that you can see the water on the surface. And a lot of the time those contain several creatures such as small shrimp, fish, earthworms. There's a myriad of creatures that actually live in the water on those surfaces. 
So the, uh, if you're having that type of filtration system, you almost always include fish in somewhere in the picture. If you're taking a pond and you want to take the water out of your pool because you want crystal clear water and you want to run it through a large UV light, run it through a mechanical filter such as a sand filter or a biological filter, then you can convert a pool just by doing that and not run it through any plant substrate or anything else. You would get a basic koi pond that's filtered by the dynamics of how natural koi uh, filtration is done, which is usually a large mechanical filter and a UV light, a large UV light. And what's the role of UV in a system like this? I mean, I've seen them for drinking systems. I grew up with one in my house as a kid. And then other than making water safe to drink, like what is the purpose that they have within this system in particular? It's, a, it's another excellent question. Because that's what we want to do. We want to have the water that's in our swimming pool safe to drink. If it wasn't safe to drink, why would I want to swim in it? I look at a swimming pool and I watch how many bats and birds and bees and earthworms and everything are poisoned by these swimming pools. So that's one of my main motivations to get people to convert their swimming pools into natural ponds. It has a healthy signature around it that actually promotes stewardship and living soil and living earth around it rather than just creating this sterile environment and detriment behind it. So the idea, one, that your water is drinkable, that's really incredible and awesome for one thing. But also, if you want a clear pond, what the UV does is it bursts the DNA of the algae cell. So by doing that, you have a clear pond if you've sized your UV right and you won't get an algae bloom in it from the sunlight on it. Also, certain pathogens that exist in swimming pools and why it's illegal to have a swimming pool without some sort of uh, chemical filtration on it is that there are certain pathogens such as liver flukes and certain protozoa that can be airborne and can be on the feet of birds or land in there from rats, gerardia, peeing in your pool, or if you have an environment where there's trees over your pool and such like that. So what's going to happen with the UV light is all of the water that's in the pool is going to pass through it and it's going to kill those things, creating a sterility of water. So the, a lot of people also misunderstand that since these systems are alive, my systems in particular, I don't just do systems without some sort of life in them. That's what we focus on and what I've built all my pools around is actually having some life in them. So it answers that question really long. There are fish in most of the situations, but yes, you can turn your pool into a biological swimming pool without having fish in it, just so you know that. Okay. And you're using this blend of biology and technology in order to create the cleanest water possible within the system because of the contact that it's going to have with human beings. Correct. And with the plants and everything else, we don't want to have any potential pathogens within our plants. So in aquaculture, a lot of people come and ask the question like, okay, you're doing aquaponics now. Well, I don't want to have fish poop on my plants. That comes up strangely enough, which is uh, fish poop because you're doing it in water. There are no warm blooded creature such as uh, what is the one real prevalent one that's found in soil through cow manure and stuff. Uh, e. coli. So those things aren't prevalent with fish manure. But the idea that you're actually killing any pathogens that could pass through the pump, through the UV light, 
before it goes into the filtration, you've actually made it easier for the biological system to digest it. So you've made it easier for your nitrogen-fixing bacteria to process the ammonia and the different chemicals, how they do in nature. And sunlight sort of does that to a certain extent. I mean, nature does that sort of on its own to a certain extent with sunlight. It's its own UV sterilizer. And this isn't to say that if someone wanted to investigate this further and do a system that was using nothing but, you know, solar energy and biological resources, it's not to say that they couldn't, but just for ease of installation and security of the system, and I imagine cost as well, it's just easier to throw a UV light on there and call it a day. Well, no, the UV lights are pretty expensive. The ones in particular that we've used, we adapt large ones from aquaculture operations. So they're fairly expensive, a UV light. They cost about $2,000 to do a system like that. I do run systems without UV lights at all. If I have areas that there's trellises built over them and I have shading on them, then I can totally eliminate a UV light. But what comes with that is those are swim at your own risk to a certain extent if we want to not deal with a rat walking on the trellis and pooping in your pool. Or if you're going to have a lot of fish in there, which are going to create nitrates, which are going to feed algae blooms. So I think the idea of having the UV light on there when it comes to a swimming pool, it's even useful in most aquaculture operations. And you can scale them down, but for the size of a swimming pool, you need a fairly large UV light to sterilize the water, the free-flowing water. And I also want to point something out. A lot of people often ask me the question, I thought this was a living system. If you're sterilizing the water, how is it a living system? Well, the UV light is only taking the free-flowing water. The bacteria lives on surface areas. All of the negative bacteria live in free-flowing water. They don't really take up to the sides of surface area where there's a predominant bacteria, the nitrogen-fixing bacteria, nitrosomonas, and I forget what the other name of the other one is right off the bat. But they basically, within the surface area and the dark places, the pipes, the sides of the pools of the wall, the plants, the roots on the plants in particular, this is where these bacteria live. So to take the free-flowing water treat it with a UV light, send it through there with busted cell walls of free-floating algae and dead creatures that are much easier for the plants to process in the situation through the bacteria digesting it for them. And so that's a distinction also between your aerobic and anaerobic bacteria in the system? Correct. There are places within systems that are anaerobic. Most of my systems are as aerobic as they can be. There are instances where stuff settles down to the bottom and an aerobic bacteria will take hold on it and do what it does for a while, which is important. By the time you pump that out into an oxygenated environment and take your leftover sludge that's caught in filters or it's caught in or it's from the bottom of your pool when you're doing your vacuuming, all of that stuff, once it enters an oxygen-rich environment within your worm bin or your garden beds or your flower beds around your property, now your pool is actually nurturing your yard around you rather than creating dead spots. It seems a little complicated, but it's really fairly simple. Nature's pretty good at it, and if you follow the basic rules, we're trying to set it up and explain it to people sort of like cooking, sort of an alchemy in a sense of creating this relationship with nature through observing what's happening and a real few simple tools to make it work. And you're also kind of dropping this knowledge bomb on us here in just a couple of minutes trying to share as much as possible, so it does seem like quite a lot in a few minutes. 
but I'm sure as people see some of the example systems that I'll post in the show notes and, of course, directing them to your site, that this will be a lot clearer once they get an idea of what something like this looks like. Yeah, and again, sorry, everyone, for my really quick download on things. Just trying to shove a lot of... Uh a larger view into a fairly short conversation on it. But we would like people to follow through, check out our website, look at our video there as well. I think it can enlighten some of this that's going on. As we talk about swimming pools in a space for you know people to be able to move into, is there a minimum size or a maximum size for one of these systems? No, I've done um, acres, and I've done them as small as... 300, 400 gallons for just sitting in and having a drink, sort of like a cool jacuzzi. I've also included jacuzzis into the systems. This system that I'm building right now that I'm almost finished with has a jacuzzi in it so that in the wintertime you can actually, the whole jacuzzi and everything will function and flow within the system. And when you want to heat the jacuzzi up, you heat it up separately. It flows the water in it while it's heated. After you're done with your jacuzzi, it circulates the hot water into the pool on the cold nights and you can warm the pool and have fish that are uh, temperature regulated by doing one jacuzzi a week or so. You can maintain a higher temperature on the cooler nights that way. So improvising, integrating. Also, my style of gardening and living systems, we wanna make anything that we touch beautiful because we want to have a feeling of being in an incredible garden. And I think having a swimming pool with plants all around it that doesn't have a chlorine smell, that doesn't burn your eyes, that a lot of the time it's really cool to have a few fish swimming around in it. The people who want it predominantly as a swimming pool and not necessarily as a system to grow food with still wind up with some really cool herbs and flowering plants and usually a few cool fish that their friends name and make friends with. There's turtles in some of the systems. There's giant prawns in other systems. So it's uh, really an incredible journey by taking something like your swimming pool and turning it into a tool for touching base with nature. And for folks who are living in a temperate climate or a space where the water could freeze over winter, is this the kind of system that can be rejuvenated and brought back to life each spring and be able to keep the same water that's in the pool? Or would they expect to drain that and then refill it and start over each year? Well, most systems, even uh, systems within the below freezing zone, there were areas in northern Colorado where I did a little bit of apprentice doing some ice sculpture with a friend. And there was a pond that was close to us, and everything was freezing, and I wanted to see if I could keep the pond from freezing just from throwing air bubbles into it. So we set up an aerator on the pond where everything else was frozen. We needed to keep this water from freezing, and we were able to do it with just an aerator bubbling and keeping movement in the pond. And when we checked the temperature of the water, it was well below freezing, but it was able to actually stay liquid. And we had caught some trout from a stream for a, from a gold mine we went to visit, and we threw them within the water with the bubbles on it. And they lived in there for a while, and the water stayed cold. So it was interesting. It was just an experiment. I have a question. Do you have any recommendations for people who have very, very cold winters, so they will want to empty their pool in the winter? Because you've moved around a lot, and you've taken your cultures and your creatures with you. So do you have any, like tips for changing seasons and changing pools? 
in an area where you have to drain the pool because it's going to freeze and you don't feel like running an aeration system, you don't feel like running a heating system, it really all depends how committed you are to it because you can build a pool within a greenhouse and hold a core temperature through thermodynamics. You can heat your greenhouse, you can heat your pool through a jacuzzi heater, or you can say, look, I don't want to do much with it and I want to empty this pool in the winter because we just live in a freezing area like Michigan, for instance. So it's time to empty my pool from whenever those dates are, November till March. I'm not exactly sure what their freezing zones are, but the, the systems are set up so that everything within the gravel and as long as you have a compost pile that's incorporated into these living systems or somewhere around where you can just keep your worms alive in a freezing temperature, a worm bin, bring your worms indoors so that you have some of the culture that lives in the system, then the whole system could basically freeze. And when it thaws out, you could add your worms back in there and your cultures back in there and everything will take hold again. Some things will actually handle the freezing weathers and still be present within the system. We uh, inoculate with some types of mycorrhizal culture and mycelium. Some of those things just handle the freezing weather and go dormant and come back when it warms up. So it is totally doable, and it's not that much. It's not that different than the way you normally treat your pool in the winter time. You're going to drain your pump. You're going to drain your filtration box so that nothing expands when it freezes, and you're going to drain your pool. So it's pretty much the same thing, just laying it dormant. If you're using cold water fish, then you either want to eat your fish before the season or you want to put them in an inside tank or somewhere that the water's not frozen. And I think about all the maintenance that I've watched my family members who have pools go through in order to prepare them for spring, prepare them for winter, maintain it through the summer, that it doesn't sound like it's any additional labor or burden to go through this process. It's just changing the places where you have these inputs, changing the ways that you perform maintenance, not that you're removing maintenance entirely. I, that's a good point because what's going on, I, I try now when people ask me to install a pool, all depending what they're trying to get out of it. If there's someone who really wants to grow a lot of food and do an aquaponic system and grow a lot of vegetables, there's a lot of work with that, like any type of farming or any type of gardening. If you're going to have 300 lettuce starts, then you need to change them every six weeks. Then you need to have a start area. And you need to think about the dynamics that come along with having 300 heads of lettuce in there all the time. But if you're someone who doesn't want to do much with your system at all, but you still want to have 300 planting sites, you could switch it over to strawberries. That you don't have to redo the pots, but every six or eight months and let them produce strawberries for you the whole time and have a more passive system. So the basic maintenance of a pool, you still have to vacuum it with a hand vacuum or a little robot that goes around the bottom, just like you do your regular swimming pool. You don't have to chlorinate it, but you do have to do water changes for the sludge that gets stuck inside your pool filter, your mechanical filter, but you would have to do that normally out of your chlorinated pool. And the difference is when you're dumping that filter, it's actually a live living earth builder where when you're dumping the stuff out of your old filter, it's just an earth killer. It's poison. And it's building up assaults. And it's amazing with the amount of swimming pools that there are in the U.S., just how much of that's allowed to just get dumped unregulated. And through your process, you're creating clean, healthy water that can be removed from the pool, from the pond, and used anywhere within someone's landscape. 
Exactly. So most of our systems that we're building ourselves, we do direct people and we're releasing some courses online on how people can just do it themselves, create the basics of a natural swimming pool. And then it's up to them what part they want to take into it. For me, I know I have to drain that water and that sludge out. So I like to build the dynamics downhill of the pool with worms and mycorrhizal culture and mycelium and mulch and plant things, nitrogen-fixing plants, and nurture the environment around me. And so what better than the waste resource of the pool that keeps it clean for everybody to swim in nurtures the environment that I'm living in. So I really like to uh, stress that to people that now you have this wealth of a resource that you don't have to go buy fertilizer to keep your yard green and beautiful or your lawn. If somebody wanted to get started to learn more, in addition to visiting your website and viewing your video, are there any resources you can think of for folks to look into? And also, what are some first steps if somebody already has a pool or pond? Is there anything they might be able to do right now to start moving towards a system like this? Yeah, I would say, I, I, unfortunately, there's not much resources out there. And what we've created is kind of unique. So I would tell anyone, reach out to us. Reach out on our website. I'm happy to talk to you and direct you in the right direction. And I will try to post as much resources as possible for people to be able to do it themselves as well. But as far as like pointing out resources to it, I'm, I don't really know a whole lot of other people that are doing it that I could point people to. I could point out pumps and UV lights, but I think that I would rather point those things out so that we don't let the enthusiasm get ahead of the facts. Because you could tell someone, oh, oh, buy this sand filter and buy this UV light. And next thing you know, someone's going out there and building swimming pools for people using just that part of the situation. But what we stress on is creating an environment, a healthy living environment that's perpetuated in your own environment around you. So that's like for us in particular that we do what we do. And we, we are happy to point out the pump and the UV lights for people and anyone can do what they like with it, that's fine. Because I think the more healthy swimming pools we have that aren't using chlorine, the better. Can you think of anything or can you think of resources that you know, Sam, that point people to or? I have not come across anything. The only thing I have come across is people using salt so people who are not doing living systems. So, I mean, when I started working with Eddie, it was it was just completely... It, his was the first time that I heard of building an aquaponic system like a stream. Where when I went through my permaculture design certification, they kind of teach you, you should build your, your garden like you would a forest because it's resilient. So why wouldn't you build your water systems like a stream or natural lakes or ponds? Because that's where resilience lies. So, I mean, I don't have an answer for you because I, I haven't found anything or anyone else doing stuff like this. Yeah, I could point out some of the projects potentially, but I think you can find some of those on our website, probably the clearest. And we post on Instagram and social media as we're building pools and the process of them. And if you look within our social media, you can look at a lot of the projects that we've done and where those ponds are at and how they're running and what's going on with them. So we've done them really big and really small. And I would say, yeah, either check out 
online what the resources that we have, go through some of the blogs and some of the social media, but also reach out to us. We're human and we love to talk to people. So we're real good about if you just uh, contact us, we'll, we'll get back with you. And I, I think a future dream for us is to be able to teach a bunch of people to build these natural swimming pools and be able to build them for other people in their area and then also train people how to maintain them so we could have these natural pool boys. So instead of the, your pool boy fixing the chlorine, you'll have the pool boy fixing your aquaponics part of your swimming pool and like making sure everything's healthy. So that's just a dream we have for the future. <laughs> yeah, so, so this thing that's been held as a status symbol for so long, having this big, beautiful infinity pool, when you turn that over to something that's like gorgeous and nurturing with a couple giant koi in it. Koi are one of the oldest living creatures on the planet. There's koi still alive today that are over 230 years old in China. A lot of people don't realize that. They think it's the turtle or the elephant or the snake or whatever it is. But the oldest living creatures on the earth are actually koi. So they hold a lot of history in to have this beautiful uh, thing that was a, a status a symbol and created it as something that is still beautiful and a status a symbol, but is also nurturing and it doesn't have to be detrimental. I think that's like kind of having your uh, cake and eating it too. When you mentioned doing something that covers acres, I was wondering how do you implement something like that? Are you using larger UV filters or are you moving the way that you use your biological resources? And I ask because I'm working with a client who has a pond that covers tens of acres, but they'd like to convert a small portion of it into a recreational area for their family. And it's one of the questions that I just don't know how to answer at the moment through my own research. But while I have you here, I was wondering if you might be able to address that to help me a little and also for anybody else who has a large, perhaps farm pond or something like that. So large areas can be done without UV lights. Large areas can also be sectioned off. Say you have a huge area, you're growing fish in some of it, you're growing plants in some of it, and you only want a small area for your family to swim in. Then you simply isolate that area out and you run a UV in just that small area on the way in and allow it to just circulate back into the bigger part of the system. So I think that, yeah, there's a, a lot of different ways to utilize it. It does not always include UV systems. I like to include UV systems on the standard home swimming pool in particular. If I'm doing larger systems, sometimes there's areas of it I include UV lights. But for the most part, I incorporate a lot more of nature's biodiversity and mechanical filtration through surface area and manipulating management of where I send the water and how I send it back to where it comes from. I know that's kind of a, a complicated answer because we don't have any visual on here. So it's a little tricky for me to explain some of these things without a diagram to be able to show people. But uh, yeah. Well, and I think I follow the different ways that that we could create those kinds of systems on that broad scale and to kind of divide between like a recreational area and the rest of the pond and some other things that come from like the permaculture design side of things that we can do a little construction to make it what it needs to be and kind of still connect it with the larger system. But I really appreciate that. That helps connect some dots for me. So thank you. Let me share the sort of a little project we have going on in Southern California here. We came to this 
property and there was a swimming pool that was abandoned. It had a liner in it. It didn't. It wasn't a concrete pool. They have what's called uh, decomposed granite. They basically pack it down, create the form of a pond, and then they put a liner in the pond. So we pulled the liner out and we replaced it with a food grade 40 mil liner. We changed the filtration system, put in a UV light, and then we ran it through a planting system where we grow a bunch of plants. This property is three acres and it was sort of like a conscious community where the owner of the property owns a mead company. It's called Golden Coast Mead. And they've set it up where they can bring community in and sort of share examples of permaculture. So we've turned it into like a little mini permaculture demonstration area. And everything is based around the pool. The pool is on the top of the hill and then it circulates water down the hill through the area where I'm growing things. And I started, uh, I think we talked about it in our last podcast possibly. Um, and in this area, we're growing on a quarter acre tons of food, but more importantly, we're growing soil in an area that was a parking lot and that you couldn't grow anything in a year and a half ago. There are six inches of soil teeming with life, worms, food. We do these farm to table dinners at the meadery and we do little education programs where we bring people in and we teach them about what we're doing and we show them what's going on with it. So this pond right now at the moment is stocked with a hundred tilapia, several bluegill, these tilapia should grow through the season to about a pound and a half. And by the time the winter comes, we'll either eat them or we'll heat the pool. And we're able to grow the vegetables and nurture the watering on the lower side of the property out of this pool. So it's just a really cool um, example of what can be done. And some of that is uh, documented on our website, I believe, and through our blogs and Instagram and through our social media. We try to get that out pretty regularly so we can inspire people. This particular property in particular, the family has three kids and they swim in that pool all day long and they're friends with the fish and the turtle. And to see this swimming pool that was able to turn this parking lot into a paradise next to it is really an incredible inspiration. So that's actually shown on that little film that's on our website. I think people will really get a kick out of that and an understanding of what your swimming pool can be. And you say that there's now six inches of soil there now so that's built fertility that wasn't imported that's built fertility that was not imported so on this property to a certain amount there was a little bit of horse manure that was added in the very beginning for a little bit of uh bacteria and such when i came onto the property i trimmed all the trees that were on the property and i put them through a chipper so then i mixed the chipped wood chips I also inoculated with mycorrhizal culture, mycelium, and I brought in several thousand earthworms, three different types of earthworms. I started to grow the earthworms in bins off to the side with the food scraps of about nine people that live on the property. So I would take all the food scraps. I would treat them with a lactobacillus culture. Then I would feed them to the earthworms. And then I would take those earthworms in these sort of hubs that I created in pots and I would put those all over the property. So, so through the, the wood chips, the mycelium, the mycorrhizal cultures, all the leaves that fall off the trees that are on the property and all of the chips that we made, within a year, a year and a half, we were able to build this barren desert parking lot 
into six inches of living earth, basically, teeming with earthworms. We've grown giant beets. I mean, if you look on our social media, you can see some of the things we've grown out of it and what we've been able to share through our farm-to-table dinners and such, just out of this example of something where nothing would grow at all, and it all hinges on the swimming pool being the nurturing point of it. Like our last conversation, Eddie, you and Sam have really blown my mind on what is possible with using water and living systems within our broader design. The first time looking at aquaculture and what we could accomplish, and now with natural swimming pools. As we move towards drawing this conversation to a close, do you have any final thoughts for the listeners? I would say that if you have a swimming pool and you're even thinking about it, do it. Um, (laughs) Seriously, it's not that big of a deal. Usually you can use your existing pump. If you have a trellis over it, you don't need a necessarily expensive UV light on it. But yeah, I'd love to inspire anybody to just dump the chlorine out of there and start using their swimming pool the way nature intended for pools to be swam in. Clean, not full of chemicals. And don't be afraid, you know, and also reach out to us. We'll totally share with you whatever we can. And you are at livingearthsystems.com? We are at livingearthsystems.com. I really enjoyed the conversation, and I look forward to another one here in the future. For sure. I, I enjoyed the conversation as well. It's so great to be able to talk with you again. As you heard there at the end, you can find more about Eddie, Sam, and their work at livingearthsystems.com. There you can also watch the video on his natural swimming pools, which I've also included a link to in the show notes if you have a problem viewing it for some reason. What can I say coming from this episode except that I like Eddie and Sam. As guests, they've been easy to work with, and they bring a ton of information to the table and make it, if not simple, then at least easy to understand. All the components of what is needed for a natural swimming pool or a natural aquaponics system, if not explicitly spelled out, are at least neatly laid out, so we know what the necessary pieces are. From there, we as practitioners, designers, or backyard enthusiasts can do a little bit more research and figure out the pieces that are going to be necessary for where we are. We can apply that standard permaculture answer of, it depends, to our own personal design and create something within this model that Eddie and Sam give us to fit wherever it is that we happen to live. Whether that's in a cold northern climate, someplace that's temperate, or into the tropics and everywhere in between. Listening to this conversation, are you in a place where you might consider creating your own natural swimming pool? Or after hearing this, did you revisit our first conversation? And are you thinking about a natural aquaponics system? If you're working on either of these, or a project like this of your own, let me know. Get in touch. Give me a call, 717-827-6266. Send me an email, show at thepermaculturepodcast.com, or drop something into the post. The Permaculture Podcast, P.O. Box 16, Dauphin, Pennsylvania, 17018. From here, the next full interview will be a conversation with Hannah Apricot Eckberg, one of the editors of Permaculture Magazine North America, to talk about that project and what we see as the current state of permaculture in the world. Until then, spend each day creating the world that you want to live in by taking care of Earth, yourself, and each other.